This brings back memories to me, not just of last year. I've got to tell you, folks, that that young man there preached the best sermon that week in that meeting. He thinks I'm bragging on him when I do that. I'm not. I'm just telling him the truth. And we, I know in our community, when he finished with this lesson, everyone was, was took back by the content as well as presentation. And we appreciated the work he did in that. Brother Randall McPherson, if he was here tonight, would be the proudest person sitting in this room or this building or whatever you want to call this, this tent. He introduced me to tent meetings 20 plus years ago. And he always did a lot of work in tent meetings. He would travel to places where there were no churches and set up a tent and go to preaching. I can show you a place right now in Tennessee where during the course of one meeting, it was not well attended. He said, I was depressed at the end of the week because we just didn't have that many people there. But there was one fellow there who invited him to his house the next week. And he went, and that fellow had 20 plus people that would gather up for a Bible study. And they invited McPherson to study with them. And over the course of a year, he baptized every single one of them into Christ. And they started a congregation in that area. He said, it just takes one. That's all. It just takes one to be the one that might start something in an area where the Lord's never had a toehold or a foothold. What I like about tent meetings, it's a little out of the ordinary because the environment's different. Children, a lot of times, will look around and they see things in a different way than we do. One child told its mama at one of the tent meetings and he said, Mama, said there's grass on this church floor. <laughs> one night I was speaking and I looked out and do you remember the, the song about the Mississippi River Squirrel? Do you remember that? Well, I'll never forget the night the snake went through the tent. And I could tell you exactly where he was at through the whole course of that. Because people were leaving their seats and dancing a little jig and we just had a ball with that. One night a storm hit. We had to move almost 300 people to a building that was not air conditioned to finish the, the study in a hot time. And it was very difficult, but you know what? They went, sat down, and got through it. And what we learn a lot in these tent meetings is that environment is not always the, the important thing. It's what we've come together to do. And we've come together to study and to learn from God's holy word. And that's what I'm going to try to do up here is to present that. And I hope and pray that when this is over with, it's not that you'll be in love with the tent meeting. But you'll be in love with the Lord. And you'll believe with all of your heart, no matter where I have to go to study the word, to hear a sermon, to help somebody with, with Christ, it's worth it. It's worth it. Turn to Acts chapter 1, please. The book of Acts is an incredible book. I've heard old-time preachers call it the fifth gospel because it continued the story. It continued the story, especially from Luke's viewpoint anyway. I know this, that as a book of history, it's unparalleled. To me, it's the most important historical 
writing that we have today because not so much because of its accuracy, although it's accurate. Its geography is accurate. Everything about it is accurate. But the most important thing was the theme of this book. It was about the beginning of the work of preaching the gospel in that time, uh, beginning at Jerusalem, moving to, through Judea, Samaria, into Asia Minor, and all across the known world at that time. And it moved, it moved with a fervency among the brethren that preached it, and it affected countless multitudes of people that heard it. I thought about this, and I realized that if that book was gone, we've got nothing that would replace that book. Because it's a bridge between the Gospels into the Epistles. And it's an important bridge for us. But what I want to show you in this night that we're here, it was the beginning of what I call the true eternal flame. <laughs> Years ago, I was in Washington, D.C., and I went up, and I looked at the grave of President Kennedy, and I saw that little flicker of fire. And they called that an eternal flame. I remember the elements that brought that about, and it brought a tremendous sense of sadness in my heart, not political sadness, but just the fact that a man was assassinated who was a leader of our nation. And I remember how it shaped a lot of my thinking at that time and brought some fear to me that things weren't as safe and as pleasant as I thought they would be in my life. Matter of fact, as time went on, I began to realize the only thing that could give me that kind of confidence and safety it was my Lord. It wasn't anything political. It wasn't anything my parents could do. Even the church itself could not do it. But as I began to study the Bible, I realized something about this book. I want you to think for just a minute, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. You know, Matthew ends with a tremendous, tremendous picture of the resurrection of Christ in chapter 28 and the Great Commission. And when you get to Mark, you read about the ascension of the Lord and again the Great Commission. And when you get to Luke, you read about the promise that the Holy Spirit was going to come and endue the the men that were handpicked by the Lord with great power. And when you read the book of John, the last chapter, some statements were made in there. The Lord made this statement. He said, if I will that he remain till I come. What is that to you? And what do you see? The second coming. And it was like all the elements of those chapters were poured through a funnel into one great big old bucket called the book of Acts. And I'm telling you, the impact was incredible. The impact was just absolutely incredible. Turn, when you, when you look at Acts 1, I want to read you a few verses there. When Luke said, beginning in verse 1, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You've heard from me. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
And I read verse 8 now. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he finished speaking, he began to rise up into heaven. And the angel gave testimony to the disciples. This same Jesus is going to come back just like you see, saw him go. But I want to tell you something. I'll read a verse later on that states this. As he left this old earth, he was going to send something back to this earth. And I'm going to tell you, he gave gifts to us. He gave powerful gifts. And you're going to see, turn to Acts 2 now, that what those gifts did, they lit the flame. Why is that flame not lit in many churches today? Why is that flame a flicker for so many of, of God's people today? Just a faint little flicker. We have one of the greatest mandates that's ever been given to mankind. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And the promise has been that if people would believe that gospel and obey that gospel and love the Lord as you're going to see, that that same Lord said, I will save them. But it bothers me that you're going to see in a minute that for a lot of people what the book of Acts talks about is just a theory and not a reality. You cannot hire enough preachers to convert this world. They're simply not there. We all are going to have to do our part. But you'll never do your part till the fire is lit. Now, did you notice in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, and I'm not going to make a big dissertation about Pentecost. I am a Pentecostian, if you let me explain what I mean by that. I believe in the Pentecostal power to convict people of their sins by the Word of God. I believe in the Pentecostal power to save men and women from their sins by the Word of God. I believe in the Pentecostal power of the Lord to sanctify men and women and set them apart from a world of sin by the Word. I believe in the Pentecostal power of the Scripture to unite all of the people that would love the Lord by the power of the Word. I believe in that. But the problem is people redefine things. But on this day of Pentecost, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly the Bible says, there came what? A sound from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind. As of. Uh, there wasn't a wind that whipped through that place and blew everybody to the ground. Was it a real sound or was it a sound that God gave them the power to perceive in their brain? I don't know. How many of you have ever heard a, a, a tornado coming? That's one of the most frightening things you will ever hear. The one I heard, everybody said it sounded like a big train. Now, that's not what it sounded like to me. It came up a hollow below my house and I heard trees are cracking and are popping and I could hear the wind shrill and whistling. I could hear the hail coming. And I'll tell you what, we didn't have a basement, but we had a bathtub and guess where I was at? It will get your attention. I was in a meeting up in Ohio one time, and it was not a tornado, but it was a Sunday evening about this time. And the building was an old building, and, and we, we knew some storms were coming, and, and they had double doors that pulled together. And I remember as I began to preach, suddenly it got dark, and the wind began to blow, and the doors burst open, and wind, and, and the pressure inside reversed and got really, your ears wanted to pop, and everybody was diving under the seats. I looked out, trees were laying down. 
I was scared to death. But I just turned over to Acts 2 and started preaching because I knew I had them right then. Everybody wanted to hear that lesson. <laughs> A sound. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then, I love that, it's like a little kid telling a story. And then, then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire and one set up on each of them. A friend of mine who is into the other kind of Pentecostalism, he said, now, every Sunday, he said, every Sunday, we need to have Pentecost. I said, do you all? We sure do. What do you do? Well, we, we dance in the Spirit and we are killed in the Spirit and we, we speak in tongues. I said, what about the sounds? What about the fire? I said, do y'all have that too? No, I said, then you didn't have Pentecost. I said, when you have the tongues of fire and when you have the sound, I want to see that. But uh, something hit me when I said that to him. He's not far off of that. Can you see in your mind what happened that day? Why sound? Why fire? Can I ask you that? Let me ask you a question. This ear. This is the ear gate. What's supposed to enter through this ear that can save my soul? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by what? The Word of God. Do you see the truth? Our Lord warned, even quoting from the Old Testament, that there would come a time when men would see and what? See not. And men would hear and what? Hear not. And the problem wasn't that the ear gate and eye gate was messed up. The problem was that the heart was callous to the concept of God. Well, it hit me as I thought about this. Here we are, present day modern church. Even in a tent which we deem a rustic place, we have more ability to create an environment where the word can be preached than any generation has ever had. Where's the fire? I'm not saying you don't have it. But I'm saying a lot of churches don't. Sometimes I shut my eyes and I try to see that house. I try to see that fire above their heads. I try to hear that, that sound coming down from heaven because that came from the Lord too. Well, the Bible tells us there appeared to them divided tongues and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. A church was born in the sense that People were being saved and being added to the apostles. And a mighty story developed that moved through the book of Acts of these people, even under the days of persecution, moving forward, preaching the word of God to everybody that listened to them. Till the day come that the apostle Paul wrote, the word had been preached to every creature in the heavens. Why? Were they able to keep the fire going? Stay on fire. Well, using Acts 2 as a basis, the first thought I want you to get is they kept it on fire because, folks, they understood the person of Christ. That's what they were taught. 
It wasn't just about precepts and practices of the church. I love the church. I'm a member of the Church of Christ. But what good would this be if we didn't have a Christ? I have never understood how we can miss that. You know, back in the book of Genesis, before I read what Peter says about this matter, my Lord made a promise when he centered out a family out of all the Gentile families of that time, Abraham, he centered him out and he said, look, here's what I'm going to do for you, Genesis 12. He said, I am going to make a promise to you and this promise will not be taken from you. And here's the promise. I'm going to give you a place, a land called Canaan, and I'm going to give you a mighty people. You're going to become the, the nation of Israel. But most importantly, out of your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That seed is a person. Not a precept. Not a practice. When I say this, some of my brethren get edgy. Because we have this little thing. Are you going to preach the man and not the plan? No. I'm going to preach the man with the plan. But the point is, if you don't have the man with the plan, what do you have? You're going to have a dead church. You know how I know that? Ephesians chapter 2. What was it that the Lord said to the church at Ephesus, which once was a great church, the, the, a church so powerful that when Paul got ready to speak to elders, he called the elders of Ephesus together in Acts 20 and gave them instructions so they could hold the fort down in Asia Minor. And later on the Lord said, you have left your first what? Love of what? Precept and practice? I doubt that. I think the Lord was concerned about their, the person they should have loved. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why in verse 22 of Acts 2 that Peter said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. But God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by this. Listen, here's what I've learned. In the first century church, the fire was fanned because they preached Christ. Read Acts 8 verse 5. Philip went out and preached Christ. Read Acts 8 verse 35. When, when the eunuch said, who does this man speak about? Himself or some other man? And the Bible says he took that text of Isaiah 53 and preached to him Jesus of Nazareth. And that sermon was so effective that when they came to some water, that eunuch said, see, here's water. There's no water out here, I guess. It's in there. But see, here's water. And he said this, what hinders me from being baptized? I have learned when people really believe in Christ, you can't keep them out of the water. They're going to ask, why can't I be baptized? They're not going to stand up and argue against it. They're going to say, why can I not be baptized? And if we don't have Jesus as the focus of our relationship to God, then what we have is form without power. And that's what we're all trying to overcome in so many places. 2 Timothy 3, Paul said in verse 5, after he described a very dangerous 
generation. He said they have a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people turn away. What is the power of the church? What is the power of the message? What is the power of salvation? It is Christ, not the church. But it's the gospel of Christ. I had a fellow ask me not long back, how do I find the right church? I said, well, first you've got to become a Christian. Because you're not going to know what to look for as long as you're a sinner. And that's what I really worry about in a lot of churches. We've got a lot of unconverted people in churches trying to develop a church environment that they think will convert sinners when they themselves are not converted like they need to be to Christ. And the fire in that church weakens. You may think I'm being simplistic, but I'm telling you something, folks. Do that little exercise. Shut your mind. Shut your eyes and open your mind. And think about the flames of fire. And think about the sound of the rushing mighty wind. And think about where it came from. And you really, you know what the purpose of all that was? That was not what saved. That was simply God ringing the telephone. So you would listen to the message. Back when my boys were all young men, my oldest boy is 48 years old now, right at it. They were young men back then. We didn't have all these cell phones and stuff. We had one phone hanging on the wall, and that phone would ring, and every one of them run for it. And I learned something real quick. They weren't in love with the ringing telephone. But most time, it was some little girl on the other side trying to call them. They wanted to hear what they had to say. And that hit me. This is about the Lord ringing the phone. Why? So that we, he's got something he wants to tell us about his son. So what happened was, as they began this journey of knowledge, they began to prioritize the word of God. In, in the book of Acts, the growth passages that we read about, and I want to read you just a few. I want you to let these verses sink in. Just watch. There's a common denominator here. In Acts 5.14, the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now, what did they call them? They didn't call them Church of Christers. What did they call them? Believers. The believers. Now, that obviously requires the word. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, in those days, the number of the disciples was multiplied. What's a disciple? Is that not a learner that, that's a follower? I mean, they're strict in their learning, strict in their following. They want to know. They want to know. Verse 7, it says, Then the word of God spread. Look at that. Look at that analogy. The word of God spread. What's he talking about? Results right here. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Do you see what's happening? The word, the word, the word, the word. I want to tell you something I've learned. Churches do not grow because of programs. They do not grow because of gimmicks. They do not grow because of charismatic preachers. They do not grow because of those things. You might swell numbers up because of those things, but you're not growing when you do that. You grow, look at Acts 16 verse 5. Here's how you grow. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. We grow because we believe in the power of the word. Now I've got to ask a question. When you studied the Bible, is your study just a casual, convenient Bible study? Mine's not. 
Oh, I hear people right now, well, you've got to study because you've got to get up there and give a sermon. No. Those days are past now. I could fake it. I study because I'm trying to strap on a sword. I study because I'm putting a helmet on. I study because I'm putting my armor on. I study because there's a war out there. I study because I want to conquer. I study because I want to defeat the adversary. I study because I want to save souls. I want to be an Abraham that plows into the battle of the kings and gets my lot back. In Hebrews 5 verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you've come come to need milk and not solid food. There's no way this fire is going to work if that's all we want is just the milk. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a baby but solid food belongs to them who are of full age, that is, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Someone says, well, there it is. It's all about me. No, there's more to it than that. We train. You remember we referenced the fact that our Lord ascended back to heaven. And he sent things back, didn't he? He sent the Holy Spirit back. He sent that. He sent the fire back. He sent the sound back. Let me read you another text. In Ephesians chapter 4, I would like you to listen to this. It's very interesting to me. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And what did he do? And he gave, he himself gave some to be what? Apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. You say, I'm not in that. Well, wait a minute. For the equipping of who? The saints. Are you saying? Have you been sanctified in Christ? Have you been saved? Well, I, I, hope and, I hope and pray you can go, uh-huh. Then you're supposed to be equipped to do what? For the work of what? Ministry. Why is it that we love to read verses that speak of us being a kingdom of priests? We're all ministers. We're all servants. You may not do what I do. I may not do what you do. But the, but the point is, we're supposed to take this word and it's, it's to be prominent in our preaching, our practice, our sermons, our lives, our convictions. May I ask an honest question as you think about your fire? What's your exposure to the word per week? No, I'm not one of those preachers that thinks you ought not to have a cell phone. I've got one. I wrote a song. I like to play music and have a good time. I wrote a little funny song when we play bluegrass, and it's entitled, I'm Just a Dummy with a Cell Phone. Or a smartphone, that's the way I worded it. But I got Elvis for my ringtones. I ain't smart enough to call you, but when you call me, I get blue suede shoes. And that's the best I can do on it. That's all I know about my phone. But you know, I've learned this. If we spend as much time with our books, 
with our Bibles. I don't care where you research the Word at. If we spend as much time trying to learn the Word of God as we have learned to handle the technology of our times, we would all be Einstein's biblically. I'm afraid a lot of us are like this fellow. He got upset at my preaching. I wish I could tell you everybody likes to hear me preach, but they don't. He got so mad during the sermon that he got up and left. He stayed out about three weeks. He come back, and I thought, oh, great. He's back. I said, I'm glad to see you back. He said, I ain't back. So I left my Bible. I come to get it. I need it. <laughs> you know what I said, though? I'm glad he come to get his Bible because that's the only thing that's going to help him. So you see, here we are. We're a people that have to understand God has to talk to us. How are you going to have a fire if you don't let God talk to you? I had a lady tell me one time, I preached a text just like this, and she said, I didn't know, I didn't know that there was fire. I didn't know there was wind. She said, how come I missed that? I said, I don't know. How would you miss that? I don't guess you read it. May I ask you a question? Do you pray? Like they did? How many of y'all have lost a loved one in the last 10 years? I have. Now here's, here's my question. What would you do the day after they died after you buried them? I'm going to confess what I did. I would go out by myself and talk to them. You can tell me they didn't hear me and I didn't care. You can tell me it was a fruitless effort for me to speak. I'm not telling you that they heard me but I didn't care what you had to say about that. I can read you what the Bible says about the dead, know nothing more underneath the sun. I know all that, but I would talk to them in my heart. With my words. That's when I learned to pray. That's when I learned to talk to somebody that I believed I knew existed, I loved with all my heart, and I couldn't see them anymore, but now I wanted them to know how I felt. And I would tell them, I'm sorry that I didn't spend more time with you. I'm sorry I didn't tell you what I really thought about you, how much I loved you. I'm sorry I didn't take time to learn who you really were. And that's what I say to God a lot of times. It's not God is great, God is good. Help me, Lord. <laughs> I've got a little field over in front of my house and I've got this old crazy horse over there. Not old, he's two and a half years old. He'll, he'll kick your brains out if, if you want him to. <laughs> yep. And I had this old um, Pyrenees, old Pyrenees, about 13 years old, and I'd go over there and we called him Homer. And old Homer's gone now. And I'd sit down, take me a bucket with feed in it over there. And, and I had another old white pony over there. And I'd pour feed out 
in two places and I'd flip the bucket over and I'd sit down and Homer come up and I'd scratch his head and I'd sit there with a stick to keep that horse from eating the little pony's feet and I'd peck him every time he come over and then duck and peck him and then duck and I'd pray. I always did this on Sunday night after church. I don't know why, but I always felt like I really had to pray hard on Sunday night after church. You know why? Because I was watching faces of people that weren't listening. Watching faces of people that needed it. Watching faces of people that had no fire. And begging God, don't let me give up. I want to read you something. When Jesus ascended, when He left, He goes up. What's the next thing the Bible says? It says in Acts 1, go back over there. It says, they went to the upper room. And there, where they were staying, there was Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James. And they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. They're all praying, all praying. Probably better than they've ever prayed in their life because they saw him go back to heaven. Before that fire fell on Pentecost, it was already burning hot in their hearts. That's why they were with one accord in one place. Who do you pray for? Well, pray for the preacher. He needs it. I do too. But ask yourself who you pray for, if at all. And I mean, if there's a big old zero coming up in your prayer life, I don't have time tonight. But many times Paul would say, I thank God when I remember all of you. I thank God for all of you. There's a lady that sends me a card every year. I thank God for you. You think that doesn't touch my heart? And it always fans the flame just a little bit for me when I read that. I was moved deeply when Paul penned what he penned in 2 Corinthians 12, how that he had a physical issue. And three times it said he asked the Lord to remove it. Read 2 Corinthians 12. And the Lord said, no, basically. My grace is sufficient for you. When you're, Paul said, I learned when I'm weak, then I am strong. Have you heard people say, we follow the Apostles' Creed? I don't do that. I follow the apostles' need. And you know what it is? I preach the best I know how, but I pray harder than I've ever prayed in my life. And the more I'm able to talk to my Father in heaven, the stronger my fire is when I'm finished. You've got to have this two-way street of communication. First century church did this. I would love to be able to read every passage, but when something came up, what did they do? Sometimes it was just a few of them. Sometimes it was all of them. But what would they do? They would pray. They would talk to God. They knew up in heaven, this man that was with us is up there at the right hand of the Father, ready to help us. Hey, man, he sent fire down here. He brought a sound like a rushing mighty wind. He can do anything he wants to do if it's his will.
And I pray to the Lord, not for physical well-being. I, do, I pray for other people to have physical well-being. But I pray for boldness and faithfulness and knowledge. I pray for the ability to stand. I pray for open doors. I pray for changed lives. I pray for lost people. One brother got mad at me because I said this. I pray for people that aren't Christians. And well, look here. They're not Christians. Why would you pray for them? Why shouldn't I pray for them? I pray that God will set a stop in front of them and make them turn back in the direction of the Lord. Turn back in the direction of salvation. Because I think he still can do stuff like that if he wants to. And you know what the end was of this? That fire continued because, and time's gone, but because these people came together in a sermon that held up Christ, he was the accelerant of the fire. You know, when, when a house burns down, the arsonists have set the fire, they look for the accelerant that they poured, and he's the accelerant. He is what creates that fire in us. I wish I could tell you it was the church. And you have a place in doing that. You can inspire me. You can provoke me to love and good works. The Bible says you can do it. But in the end, you know who's responsible for this? Me. And I've learned by myself I cannot do this. But what I do is I turn to the Lord. And as, as Paul said, when he came to his need or being, you know, well fed, he said, I can do all things in Christ. Now, I don't want to expand that past what he's talking about in that text, but I know this. If we're ever going to conquer out here, we're going to conquer because we know one thing, that nothing could separate us from the love of who? Love of who? The Lord. And what happened then? This, this ignited a fire in thousands of people, just like you and me. Let me ask you, who do you want to be? You know, if you went to Exodus chapter 32 and you read about the time when, when Moses had gone up on the mountain and come back and they were worshiping a golden calf, having a good old time, and God said, I'm going to destroy all of them. And, and remember, Moses become a mediator. And he said, if you can't do this, he said, brought me out of your book of life. He loved those people that much. And, but when it was over with, the Lord said, draw your swords and I want you to take care of some people that caused this problem. I won't get them all, but how many did they take care of that day? 3,000. He subtracted 3,000 people out of the family of Israel. Well, what happened on the day of Pentecost when they preached? How many become Christians? And the Bible said he added 3,000 to them. Well, I want to know which one are you? Are you in the group that's being subtracted or in the group that's being added? And you know, don't you? Well, I'm going to tell you a little something, folks. The fire of that New Testament for those on the right side illuminates a beautiful future that God has for you. But if you're on the other side of that fire, you say, I don't know what you mean by that. Yeah, you actually you do. Exodus 14, you actually know what I mean by that. The night before Israel crossed the Red Sea, what happened? The pillar came down between Pharaoh and Israel. Remember that? And the Bible says if you was on Pharaoh's side, 
you saw darkness. You couldn't see. You couldn't see. But if you was on Israel's side, you saw light, and you could see where you were. And the next day when God said, go forward, what would you do? You went forward. And did he deliver? He surely did. He surely did. And on that day there in Acts chapter 2, those people, those 3,000 people, the Bible said, they were baptized and they were added to them. And they, what did they do? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Fear came upon every soul. Wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now I want you to see all that. And all who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness, simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added, such as should be saved to them, to the church. And did it it end right there? Is that that where it stopped? Read the book of Acts. More than a hundred names are named in the book of Acts of people that took part. And I know there was more than that, but I'm just talking about names were named like Ananias and Dorcas and Cornelius and Silas and Jason and Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla and a bunch more. Because the Lord wanted you to know there's a lot of people just like you. They were set on fire on the day of Pentecost and they were set on fire after Pentecost because it was the same fire that flowed out of the temple of God, moved out into the world. A fire that could cleanse a man's lips who had been the most wicked thing ever on this planet and turn him into a powerful tool for the Lord. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. I don't care how high you are, how low you are. The Lord puts you in a place where he wants to put you and he can clean you up and fix you and make you able to do his work. But if we just sit back, be amused in our lack of commitment, do not think you're sitting under the fire. I might ask you a question. If the Lord put the flame over our heads today, how bright would your flame be, if at all? If the sound came into this room, would you even hear it? Do you not realize we're headed for a flame and a sound? The Bible says there's going to come a day when there will be a shout. And the dead will hear this shout so loud that they will come forth out of the graves to meet their judgment. The Bible says the day is going to come when our Lord's going to come back, listen, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't say that to scare you. I say that to educate you. I want to be in this. I want to stand in this. I looked at the book of Acts and I saw Jesus at work and the Spirit at work and God at work and the apostles at work and the church at work. Why would I think that should end now? It should not end. When we come in here, we come in here 
whether it's this tent or that building or Waterview or wherever it is you worship, we come in to educate and, and learn our, our, our material and develop our faith and put our armor on and then we go out there and we conquer that world for Christ. I was taught by my mentor, and I think everybody needs one, not many self-starters in this world. He said, usually the lost just don't come to see you. That happens sometimes, but not often. He said, you're like a point man in the army of God, and it's your job to go out there and find them. It's your job to go into the enemy territory. And you got the hardest job of all. If we could just go out there and knock them out, wouldn't that be neat? Just knock them out and bring them in. But you have to go out there and teach them. And you say they don't want to listen. You're right, most people don't want to listen. But if I thought that, I'd never reach anybody. If that's the way I lived. And what I have found is that people that I don't even think are going to be the ones that's going to listen will sometimes be the, the Paul or the Peter in my life. They will come to Christ and move forward and just surpass all expectations. You know why? The Lord lit a fire under them in their hearts. This is a nice place. But there's something better coming. One day we're going to stand before the Lord. And I don't know what heaven's going to look like. I, I try to visualize that and I work on it. And I've got all these special little pictures of it. One of my granddaughters asked me a question. She loves animals. I mean, I think she loves animals right now more than she loves people. Because she says, they act right. And she said, little Petey died. A little dog that was born just a little bit before she was born. And she lived all of her life with little Petey and he died. And we had a funeral. Now I don't care what you think about stuff like that. Back in the day when I was hard hearted and mean, I just thought that's a waste of time. No, not now. We went out there, we dug a hole, we built a casket and we buried Petey with full honors. That's right. We was walking back up to the house and she said, Pa, and I said, what baby? Will Petey be in heaven? I said, well, let me ask you something, baby. Is heaven going to be a place where God wants to make you as happy as he can make you? Well, I, yeah. I said, would it make you happy for Petey to be there? Yes. I said, I think you got a good shot then when you tell him that. I don't know if he'll be there or not. I know what the Bible says about the spirit of animals. I didn't say it was going to be there now. <laughs> Please, folks, see the flame. Hear the wind when you study the scriptures. Know it comes from God. And go out there and conquer with the word. Save your soul and anybody else that will let you.
Listen, if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, Acts chapter 2 will tell you everything you need to know to become a Christian right now. It'll tell you that Jesus is Messiah in Christ. I'm going to tell you something about being Messiah. In a worldly world, many times even in the church, we never talk about this. He's the central figure of who we worship. And being the Christ and being the Messiah, that's his title. It's like saying, we have a president, but do you know his name? Yes, you know his name. Well, we have a Messiah. What's his name? Jesus. And he's the son of God. And when you believe this and turn away from your sins and you confess him with your mouth because you believe that in your heart and you're baptized, you're raised up from the waters of that baptism to be a new creature. But I'm going to tell you something. You're on fire when you come up out of that water. I was. Many times in my life when I repent, I have to go back to my original intent, the original fire, back before I knew anything about the Bible. But I had zeal. And find it again. And if you've left your fire burn out, light it back up. Can I ask you a question? I'm wanting to quit, but I can't seem to find a spot to do this. Can I ask you all a question? How do you put the fire out? Now, get ready, because this is going to stun you. Many times in the church, we put the fire out with the very things that should have lit it. We go to church. We endure the sermon. We go to the Bible classes. We show up. We do what we're supposed to do. But we put the fire out by doing it. You say, I don't know if I get that. I got a good friend moved out in the country. I asked his wife one day, how y'all like country living? That's all I've ever known. Well, we got an old wood stove in there. And said, she said, I can get the fire going. But if he's here any length of time, it's out in two hours. I said, what's he doing? He said, he's got a poker. And said, he'll poke and push that thing and poke and push it till he puts the fire out. She said, if the house ever catches on fire, I'm going to give him the poker. He'll get it put out before the fire department can. <laughs> but that's what worries me. You see, when we think we've done enough because we went to church... The fire is what? Go convert somebody to Christ and you watch how you feel a long time. Many of the old preachers told me when somebody gets baptized, it's a shot in the arm for the whole church, isn't it? Because the fire level goes up. Are you a Christian? You want to help the fire really start in this meeting? Save your souls tonight while we stand up and while we sing.